Good morning and welcome to Coworking with Iris, where we talk about co-working and community. This morning, I am actually going to be speaking with you directly and go through a little bit of a different format. Um, I thought I would present to you um, what I do when hiring a team for co-working spaces, sort of my, uh, my tried and true and honed best practices that I've developed over the past several years. To date, I've hired, I believe, about 26 community managers now, and um, I've had to fire some people, and I've had to um, make some really tough decisions. And it, through that process, I really tried to develop um, a process that would never require me to fire anybody again, because <laughs> that's just not a good feeling to have. And so I really started to believe in the um, hire slowly, fire quickly adage in the work world. Um, and I really feel that hiring uh, is such an important component of the co-working team because your, the people who run your space or your spaces, um, if you are a multi-space team, are really the first face of your community. They're the first face of um, your brand, and they set the tone for the culture of the community within your walls. And so identifying the right type of person um, is crucial. Hiring them uh, well and doing a good job at the hiring process and really kind of having your act together with doing that is crucial. And then of course, training is also crucial. And that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> but this morning, um, I wanted to go through uh, the hiring process that I've developed and pass that on to you. I have a series of documents that I've created as examples, which I will link in the blog post that lives on coworkingwithiris.co. Um, and I will also post those here on the YouTube video so that you can access those. And um, you can also email me anytime at iris at iriscavanaugh.com and I'm happy to share those documents with you. They are in the form of a Google Doc. And um, all I ask is that if you uh, share them with other people that you at least um, give credit to me um, because I did put a fair amount of time and energy into them. So thank you. So what I think is most important first is really getting clear on who you are as a company and as a brand and what your community um, culture is and what makes sense for your brand and your culture. And doing so is a long process. So give yourself some time before it's time to hire. There's nothing like hiring a uh, kind of off-the-cuff um, candidate or, or somebody who comes in and realizing a little way through the process that um, you might not have made the best match um, and it's not a good feeling to have. It's not a good feeling to have for you, for your members, or for your... Um, and at least here in California, there's very strict laws about uh, letting an employee go. Culture fit is definitely a reason to be able to do so, but um, you know, there's still a lot of laws protecting the employee against um, 
poor hiring practices and poor firing practices. So I really, I, I really can't stress enough the importance of hiring slowly and, and really going through your process. So what I usually refer to as sort of the beginning of the process is identifying your, uh, your culture and your candidate um, and what qualities that they need to have. So I've broken that up into uh, the hiring process I've broken up into five steps. And I'm gonna go ahead and share my screen here with you for those on video. Uh, if you're listening to this on podcast, I apologize. But again, you can see um, this document that I'm sharing as well as the linked documents uh, it, below uh, in the show notes and on the blog post on coworkingwithiris.co slash episode 25. And um, I haven't screen shared in this format um, previously, so do bear with me, my apologies, um, as things are going to be a little bit uh, jerky around with the Google Hangouts screen share feature that they have embedded. So I've broken this process, as I mentioned, down into seven steps, identify, prepare, advertise, interview, and offer. So the first step, identify. What does this mean? So this really means identifying your culture, identifying the key components of what makes you uh, a unique space that draws your members in. And um, easy ways to identify are to really check in with your members and ask them, what makes you wanna work here at my coworking space? And if they say something like, well, I always feel welcome, then you know that welcoming or welcome is one of the identifiers that you can look to for the culture. Um, if they say, well, this is really professional environment, then you can say professionalism is a key identifier of your culture. So looking to your members, then also looking to yourself. When you started this business, what were your goals? Maybe you did this identification process ahead of time, which I think is always a much better idea than doing it after the fact, but either way, getting here is what's important. So uh, what, what led you to build this business of yours, this co-working business? If you are a single operator, perhaps you were lonely, perhaps you ran a company um, and you had a couple of employees or you ran it by yourself and you really just wanted somebody to work with, you were tired of working in a coffee shop. And so that means that community is most likely important to you as our relationships. And if that is the case, then I would call you more of a people-focused community space. So identifying these key traits, uh, documenting them, writing them down, writing down your values, getting really clear on them, and then distilling them into a very, very concise set of traits you know, three to five tops, seven or eight, that really define who you are, that you can then lead your team from, which allows you to hire correctly, according to them. The, step, the second step is if you have staff, and if not, uh, this applies to you yourself if you're running your co-working space, is what are the characteristics of your existing effective staff? And if your characteristics include, once again, professionalism, um, friendly in nature, 
uh, warm and welcoming, then those are the characteristics that you want to write down. I've spent a fair amount of time identifying what I think of as the characteristics of effective staff. And I used to call them the five key attributes, but I've really added a couple of more. So now I call them the five plus six or 11 key attributes of an effective community catalyst. And um, I, I, pr I feel pretty strongly that these are important in a hire for a uh, people-based community space. If I was working with you as a client and your focus was more on professionalism um, and on um, transactions and on uh, you know providing a very well-designed workspace but less on creating connections between the humans in the space which is completely fine then we might come up with a little bit different list of characteristics or attributes um, but for now I have identified are happy helpful curious proactive accountable intuitive, autonomous, flexible, friendly, great communicator, and a connector. So I really feel that these attributes speak to themselves, but uh, I will run through just a little bit of why I've chosen each of these. So a happy person that is leading a co-working space spreads happiness because they are by nature a fun person to be around. Um, if you have employees who are less happy, they are more likely to, um, to have that less happiness, I don't want to say unhappiness, but less happiness rub off on the members and on the culture of the community, um, which can you know, really kind of set the stage for uh, lack of engagement within the community. In addition, uh, happy members or happy employees tend to be more engaged um, according to Gallup research recently conducted um, and uh, engaged employees are more productive and make happy customers so it's that kind of full circle helpful um, it's really important in most co-working spaces to have staff that's helpful that is willing to go just a little bit above and beyond for the individual needs of each member curious um, I really can't stress this attribute enough. Um, I think it's incredibly important in a co-working space manager because you need to be curious about your people in order to really ask the right kinds of questions to get to know them well enough to be able to connect them with other people. And you also need to be curious about how to solve a problem in order to be a problem solver. So if you are that curious person, you're more likely to be uh, willing to engage with members and connect them together and you're more likely to really see any problem as solvable as long as you find the right solution and curiosity drives uh, that search for the right solution if goes hand in hand <laughs> with solutions creation and uh, so a lot of co-working spaces are run with one maybe two people um, throughout the day and um, it's a, I would, I would call it a low management position in that there's an often not somebody that is able to manage the daily workflow or the daily movements of the co-working space manager. And so it's important for that employee to be proactive, to really 
see what is going to need to be done in the space or what is going to need to be done in the community ahead of time, take charge and get it done rather than wait to be asked to do something or wait to have, you know, that stain in the carpet pointed out or um, the lack of engagement within the community pointed out. Uh, so I, proactivity is, I think, a really important attribute. Again, <laughs> moving on to accountable. Accountable also incredibly important because what accountability brings is that sense of ownership. And um, if I feel like I am owning my position uh, as an employee, I'm much more likely to be accountable for the uh, responsibilities that I have as well as for the work that I put out, which means that I'm more likely to put out work that I'm proud of, and I'm more likely to own my mistakes when I make them. Intuitive. It's important to be able to understand when somebody's a fit and when somebody's a not, and into or when somebody's not a fit. And intuition is really what drives this at the end of the day. Experience as well, but I think that experience breeds intuition. Autonomous. This person, once again, as I mentioned earlier, needs to be able to work alone quite often. And so they need to be able to see the task that needs to be done and run off and get it done rather than needing to be guided all the way through the process. Flexible. We provide services to entrepreneurs, small businesses, and freelancers. So flexibility is a core value of our business as co-working and shared space operators. Um, and so an employee needs to be able to understand that flexibility and be able to work with it so that if there's a hard and fast rule, um, most of the time, the understanding is that um, flexibility is what to meet the needs of that individual member, which might mean sometimes bending that hard and fast rule. Um, it might also mean the difference between selling an office for $900 for three weeks as opposed to letting that $2,000 office stand open for four weeks. Friendly. When somebody first enters the co-working space, um, the first feeling that they should feel is that this is a friendly place to work. I'm, I'm excited to come in every day because people say hi to me. I'm happy to bring my clients here because my clients feel really good when they come. And I just like being here because the people are friendly. That tone is set by that employee uh, and friendliness is, I think, a key attribute um, for any community manager um, and especially in the co-working setting. A great communicator. Co-working people and operators have to be able to communicate all the time with their members. Sometimes that communication is literally just the events of the week coming up. Sometimes it's communicating very quickly um, and understanding the need to communicate very quickly um, some type of a problem that's arose, like off in the building. Um, and so being proactive and letting the members know uh, as soon as you know what's happening, um, the internet is down, letting the members know, hey guys, just figure out the internet's down, we're on it, 
uh, we'll give you an update soon. And then sometimes you have to have tough conversations with members who are not um, really meeting the guidelines set forth by the community for community best practices for being a member. And so you need to be able to have sometimes tough conversations with members. And sometimes you have to ask a member to leave based on their lack of fit with the community. You really have to be a good communicator in those situations so that um, emotions don't get involved. And then of course, connector. This one really goes without saying in a people-based space. But in general, connecting your members is really going to enhance your bottom line. It's gonna bring you more money in the door. So even if your goal is not to create relationships amongst your members, um, I still think having a connector, even if that's not your brand promise, having a connector as your staffer, as your community manager, will uh, enhance your, your business bottom line through that, um, that sense of place and sense of belonging that somebody gets when um, the community manager is connecting them with the other people within the community. And moving along, the next step is to prepare. So um, <laughs> this is just always important in life, of course, but very important in the hiring process. Starting off with writing the job description. I write my job descriptions as very um, business-oriented, um, cut and dry documents. They don't have any really flavor or tone or voice in them. They are a list of exactly the expectations that I have for that employee um, and the roles and responsibilities that they will fill within um, my organization or the organization that I'm hiring for. And I do have a link to an, a sample job description that I've written. Uh, I think it's really important that you list out every single possible area of responsibility that this person would have and your expectations around that in the job description and then walk them through, once you've made the hire, really walk them through that job description. This isn't a place to put tasks. These are not the tasks to create or to complete um, those areas of responsibility. Um, it is literally just a description of that area of responsibility. So here's an example, or, or just a quick screenshot of a type of job description that I usually write. Um, so I, I include a summary, um, exactly who this person reports to, and the duties of the list of duties and responsibilities that they do on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis. Um, again, I have this linked. Then write the job advertisement. I differentiate between the job description and the job advertisement for a couple of reasons. The first one being that um, the job description is really a, a document to be shared um, once you've really identified the best candidates. You can share it during the interview process, but really this is not something that you, you need to be sending out um, on the internet because it is uh, it is part of your IP, but it's also really part of internal um, operations work, and um, it's not a very exciting document to read. And what the second reason is that what I really found have found in my own hiring process is that most of the people that I have hired as community managers who've worked out to be the best community managers 
are um, those who said, you know, when I read that job description or that, that job advertisement, I felt like it was written for me. So I see this as a marketing piece. You're selling your company to this person. Whoa, what? I'm selling my company. No, I'm offering them a job. I'm going to pay them. Well, that's kind of the old way of working. And in the future of work, employees want to work at a place that they feel um, encouraged, supported, that they have purpose, and that they're part of something that makes them feel good. They want to be happy at work. And so you are selling your, uh, your company to each individual candidate. Um, and this is also the way to really under, to, the way to really gauge culture fit. If somebody reads this job advertisement that you've written in the language and tone and voice of the, your company's culture, then they're more likely to align with it right away. Another key piece, here's an example of a job advertisement. And as I, I have this linked um, and we'll give you access to it as well. Another key aspect of the job advertisement that I always insert is a request for a cover letter which details um, two to three uh, questions or contributions that I want that candidate to make in the application process. And what that does for me is allows me to weed out the candidates who don't follow directions. <laughs> and I know that sounds a little harsh, but you have to have a weeding out process because if you have 100 candidates send in their resumes, somehow you got to get down to the one candidate you're going to offer the job to. And of course, there's the interview process, but who are you going to ask in for an interview or for a phone screen? Um, so my, my first stop is I delete all of the resumes, or I, you know, I, I respond to them, but I just decline all of the resumes um, that don't include a cover letter because that's uh, a very descriptive in my job advertisement. And my feeling is, is that if you are not able to follow directions in the interview process, then it's hard for me to see that you'll be able to follow directions while you're an employee. And if you don't have the attention to detail to notice the request in the interview process, or you just, you're just sending out mass uh, resumes, you're probably not a fit for this job because I need you to have a pretty high attention to detail considering you'll be uh, managing a lot of little details throughout the day. The third step is to advertise. <clears throat> My go-to advertisement um, and job posting place is jobscore.com. Not that this is a, a um, advertisement for Jobscore, but I really like their interface. Um, but in general, I find that it's much easier to hire if I am working through a hiring platform that organizes all of the resumes for me, that auto-posts the job as soon as I've sent it out, that allows for an application process. And I've used several out there, and uh, the one that I like the best is JobScore. Um, and so I, what I do is I post the job on JobScore, and then I'll send it out in various places, but always a link back to the apply button on JobScore so that I have all my resumes and applications coming through that one central hub, um, and it keeps my hiring process a lot more organized. So my first place to send out that linked listing is to my community. 
And um, what I found is that word of mouth is, you know, not just the best in, in bringing members in, but it's the best in bringing community managers in. Because chances are, if a member themselves or an associate of a member is excited enough to tell somebody that they know that's looking for work about this thing that they're doing every day, they're, they're more likely to be able to describe um, the culture and, um, and, and have that sort of excitement around that to the potential employee um, than just reading the job description during a cold job search. Community. Um, also, it's just a great feeling to have hired from within your community. It just really strengthens those community bonds. And then um, send it out on all your networks. Use your social media um, and your monthly newsletter. Um, post a job offering outside of your space so that as people walk by, they see it. Um, just really quickly on, on the types of places that I usually post, I sort of post in the in the larger um, job posting boards. I don't bother with Craigslist because um, I haven't yet hired anybody off of Craigslist. In the early days, we posted on Craigslist and what I found was that there was just a lot of resumes that I needed to sift through of people who were not qualified or the right fit for the job. Um, so I don't use Craigslist. What I do use is Indeed, Glassdoor, um, Jobs.com, AngelList, and LinkedIn. Uh, although I don't use the LinkedIn job board necessarily because that's pretty expensive, but I'll post the job on the company LinkedIn page and then share that widely. So the next step in the process is interviewing. And um, you should prepare yourself for a fair amount of interviews. Um, so my quick, quickly, my interview process is I always do a phone screen um, for the candidates that I feel are the most qualified. Um, my phone screen is about 20 minutes, and I ask the exact same questions of every interview, which, by the way, that's kind of the law. Um, and I do so... Um, in a way that allows me to get to know this person um, as you know as quickly as possible as you can over the phone. But I also ask them questions that are allow me to know what they know about this job. So, for instance, one of the questions that I ask is, "What do you know about co-working?" And um, if somebody's you're really into the idea of this job, then they're probably going to do some research into the company or research into this new idea of co-working that they've come across. And um, when they do uh, that research, it shows in the interview because they can tell you what they know about co-working. If they say, what's co-working? Or I like to work with my co-workers when I'm on a team. Um, that's kind of a no for me because if you didn't have, you know, if you didn't have the impetus and, and you didn't have, um, the drive to go and do a little bit of research about this job, then it's hard for me to see you as being proactive and having enough drive to really do the job itself when there's a lot that's going to be asked of you in this job. So we do a phone screen. And then um, most of the candidates that I hire generally end up having had um, a total of three to four interviews. Um, so the next step after the phone screen would be an in-person interview. 
um, or two in-person interviews, depending on how many people this person will be working with. If you're the owner and operator and you're hiring um, to replace yourself, then make sure that you spend a good amount of time getting to know this person, maybe get some lunch or grab a beer. Um, if you're hiring for this person to work with your staff, then I can't stress enough how important it is to allow the staff that they're going to be working directly with to participate in the interview process. Because it, culture and culture fit um, is a pretty wide description and it refers to the overall culture of the company. It also refers to the individual relationships within the company. And you might have two perfectly wonderful people um, and, uh, you know, alone or with other teammates, they, um, they really exemplify your brand, but together they're just not a good mix. And that can really, um, cause a lot of stress on a co-working community um, to have the community managers not be what I refer to as that Batman Robin team. Um, then the final interview that I do is what I refer to as a trial day. And um, this process was actually first introduced to me by my friend Rebecca Bryan when we, uh, when we used to do our hiring together uh, at our old company. And a trial day is a day, it's the final interview in the process, and there's usually one to two, sometimes three, if I really can't decide between the best of the candidates. Um, and it is so important. I, I really think that everybody, really every business, should bring somebody in and work with them for a day or two to find out if it's really going to work out. And there's a couple reasons. Uh, one is that the interviews can go really well. Some people are great at interviewing. The interviews can go not so well, but you can have a really good feeling about this person. Some people just aren't good at interviewing. Being in a trial day setting gives you a little bit more time with this person. It also gives you the chance to just kind of sit and relax and hang out with them a little bit. And then, of course, it gives you a chance to give them some work and see how they perform. And um, I actually can't count the number of times that I've been excited about a candidate and, um, and the community manager that I was hiring with was excited about a candidate. And that candidate came in and we did a trial day and it turned out <laughs> through that trial day that they were just not the right person for the job. And we kept looking or we offered it to the other candidate um, who turned out to be the right person for the job. And uh, so, so this is why I really believe in a trial day. Um, you can do it as a contract, pay your person, you know, a contract wage for that day. Um, I think a full work day is the best, um, but even just a couple of hours um, of working with this person should give you a better indicator of who they'll be on the team. So I will also link to the co-working manager trial day, sample trial day that I've um, created for you. Um, and so some sample tasks that I put into that trial day are writing, Crafting a 400-word blog post about co-working, and um, if it's good enough, feature it on your blog. Um, it's it's content for you that you're literally paying someone to create, so use it. It'll also give you a really good indicator of whether or not this person is good at writing, which is a requisite, a very important requisite for um, most co-working operators. Um, meeting members. 
So I always ask trial day candidates to find members throughout the space, have conversations with them, and report back on the conversations. My most recent trial day that I did was really fun. I actually did a scavenger hunt. So I went ahead and I talked to four members ahead of time, and I asked them if they would be willing to interview, participate in the interview process by having my three candidates um, identify them and uh, do a mini interview with them and then reporting back to me on their thoughts on those candidates. It was super fun. It was, um, it gave a little bit uh, more uh, kind of to the hiring process that time. Um, and the members really enjoyed it. Even if you decide not to do a scavenger hunt, um, I do highly recommend having your candidates just go out and select four members and report back and allow your members to know this is happening ahead of time. Email your members the day before the trial day um, and let them know, you know, tomorrow we have Josie Shine coming in. She is a candidate for uh, the open community manager position and we'll be speaking with some of you. So please feel free to say hi to her and let us know what you think. We're curious to hear what your thoughts are on our incoming community manager choices. And then the step, the last step is to offer. So writing an offer is, um, is really important. Uh, here in California, it's a requirement. You have to provide an offer letter. Um, you can pick up sample offer letters online, but I think one of the most important things are the, the sort of three most important elements, and I'm not an HR specialist, but the three most important elements to have in that are um, uh, the description of the responsibility of the candidate, uh, their start date and salary based on the uh, weekly or bi-weekly or monthly amount. Um, and, you know, you can include the yearly amount there of their salary, but the bi-weekly or monthly amount will allow you to break it down so that they really understand that this is what they're making on a weekly or monthly basis and they don't feel... Um, you know, a promise of, well, I'm actually going to make exactly $65,000 this year, which sometimes doesn't happen for, uh, for various reasons. Um, so protect yourself with really writing that salary incorrectly. And then third, um, making sure you have an at-will clause, especially if you're in an at-will state, or that you at least state um, the type of employment that you're offering. Um, here in California, we are an at-will employment state, but because we have such high um, standards for our pro-employee laws here, um, it's important for employers in the state of California to really expressly stress that at-will employment um, so that in the event of a termination, um, there's no idea that uh, the employee was promised you know, a 90-day trial period or a year contract or anything like that. Um, they really understand upfront that if this is at-will employment. I would also include if your community uses um, community, some type of community norms or uh, some type of um, document that your members sign agreeing to the guidelines of how to be a really good community member, I would include that as well and ask them to sign that. And then ask them to send your bio, you their bio and their photo and email the members and the team ahead of time, ahead of the start date, um, welcoming that person so that they're really ready to join the community on day one. Uh, and then you might also include in that offer letter 
your list of benefits and your um, your NDA or your terms and conditions if you have um, if you have your employees sign NDAs or terms and conditions if you have your uh, members sign NDAs or terms and conditions because that just gets them into um, the culture right away of really understanding that they're entering a community and that um, you know they're there to be supportive of the members and the members businesses and that if a member shares something with them, it's considered in confidence unless the member tells them otherwise. Um, so those are my steps. In terms of benefits, I would just like to say, I know it can be really tricky when you're a single operator and you're stretching your budgets to bring somebody else in to help or to replace yourself. So um, it's hard to know what kind of benefits to offer when um, you know that budget is already so stretched. So here's a couple tips. Be generous with time off. Um, if you can, as much as possible, allow your employee to have uh, you know, the, the national holidays off. So close the space for those days. Your members will understand they're running businesses too. And just let them know, communicate with them that that's what's happening, that you know, you're working hard to be a good employer. Um, also be generous with um, your vacation package for your employee. Um, vacation packages are really running away from the old standard of two weeks per year and coming up with more, um, rather than being time-based, uh, being really work-based and merit-based. And what that means is that when people work hard at work, um, you know, or while they're at work, uh, encourage them to work hard. And if they have ownership, then they will work hard. And, um, and then encourage them to take that time off, even if it's a daily, uh, you know, sending them to the gym on their lunch break. Um, those are ways that, that you can make sure that your community manager doesn't burn out because burnout is a, definitely a serious concern for community managers, especially, especially the, those that are operating a space um, solo uh, because they're just there all day every day so generous with time off consider alternative benefits and perks a couple of my favorites um, you can pay off uh, an employee's student loans if they're coming in and for the entering millennial generation um, that's a huge thing they might have taken out huge student loans and then found themselves in an economy that's not able to support them uh, paying those student loans back. So there are programs out there that allow you as the employer to help with that. Um, consider offering flex time. Uh, if you have more than one employee running a location, um, allow employees to stagger their shifts or um, allow somebody to work for 10 days and for 10 hour days um, as opposed to five 12 hour days. Um, offer uh, you know childcare um, assistance um, and a couple other faves that I have um, are uh, taken from my old days uh, at my previous company next space and we developed through um, my colleague Gretchen Biza we developed what we called an interesting fund um, and the premise being that we really wanted our employees to be interesting because our members were really interesting and we wanted them to be able to feel like they could keep being interesting. So rather than just having sort of the traditional um, job advancement and job educational 
um, allotment, what we did was we gave every employee $200 a year um, to spend however they felt was the best to keep them interesting. And we broke it up into six month allotments. So you got basically $100 worth of reimbursements every six months that would allow you to do things like taking classes. So um, language, maybe Spanish or French class. Um, we had somebody take a welding class. Uh, one of our employees bought a bicycle and started a bike meetup at the co-working space and um, included uh, bicycle teaming, you know, creating a bicycle team with the members. Um, and this allowed them to um, meet a couple needs, <laughs> help them with their transportation to work issues, but it also um, created a, a whole new channel whereby to develop community within the, um, within the uh, co-working space. And then another favorite that I have is to offer one of your open desk or hot desk memberships to your employee to offer to somebody as they see fit. And the way that that would work is, um, and I'll use myself as an example, um, because when I created this program, um, I did so out of a, an actual need that I had. Um, I, I worked out at my local CrossFit gym and I had the owner of the CrossFit gym come to me and say, hey, Iris, I'm wondering if you would be willing to trade um, a, a membership, a co-working membership with me for your CrossFit membership. And I thought, well, hey, that's an interesting concept. That would save me a fair amount of money every month. Um, so I went to my boss and I said, hey, um, what if we created an employee perk where you, an employee could use, uh, could have a, an open working membership um, that they could offer as a barter or trade to somebody else? And um, it, it, it took off. We, we approved it. It took off. For me, it saved me $175 a month in my economy. So it was basically like getting $175 a month raise. Um, for people in other cities where the cafe um, membership or the open prices were higher, you know, $350, that's a sizable amount um, that they could be saving, you know, by providing that to their um, massage therapist or uh, other type of service provider that they might be working with. Other, um, or other team members chose to offer it to family members or friends that were just starting out in businesses and couldn't quite afford a cafe membership or a co-working open co-working membership right then, but they knew eventually would want to be part of the community. Um, and then, of course, you know, the one caveat that I'll offer to that is to make sure that um, the lead community manager or you as the owner operator are able to be sort of the last say in who your employees offer these memberships to, because, of course, it has to be the right fit for the community. And even if it's a person's, um, you know, really close uh, friend or or a family member they still might not be the work the best person for the community so that's just something to keep in mind all right and here we're back at the resource list screen so uh, once again i'll make these resources available to you and that is my hiring process i hope this was really helpful for you today thanks for joining me 
Um, I'm back next week with Honey Jane out of Cowork. Uh, she works with um, co-working spaces in Mumbai and Southeast Asia, and we'll be talking about the co-work network. And I'm excited to have that conversation with her because I'm just really looking forward to sort of bridging my world of co-working with the world of co-working um, across the globe. Thank you so much for joining us today. For future episodes um, and for past archives, you can go to coworkingwithiris.co and you can subscribe to a podcast there or subscribe on YouTube. Have a wonderful day. Keep changing lives every day and keep doing what you're doing.